Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The Bizarre, The Unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. All right, here's an update on our Christmas tree decorating project, or actually cats, because (laughs) my involvement really just includes sitting in a chair saying you missed a spot. Also picking out the largest tree that's ever existed. Mm -hmm. So you, you choose the tree, and then... That's where it ends. That's where it ends. Yeah. Well, I helped bring it in the house. That's not true. No. Yeah. And then um, throughout the decorating process, which usually for me takes about four days, uh, you will randomly stop and hold your hand over your heart and tell me that it's the prettiest tree you've ever seen. That's true. And that's really the only thing I need you to do okay. is just continually uh, compliment me. <laughs> that's, that's all it takes to motivate you. We are experiencing quite a deluge of pine needles, though, uh, because of the size of the tree. It is a problem. Um, And they're everywhere. Everywhere. I pulled back the covers on the bed (laughs) to get into the bed and and just made the bed the night before. Fresh sheets, pine needles everywhere in the bed. I think the dog's responsible. Absolutely. They get between their pads on their feet. They They can't control it. There are pine needles in the shower. Yeah, well, naturally, they because I am covered in them, and so I have to shower them off. And last night, Kat discovered pine needles in her bra. Yeah, it's very unpleasant. And not just a few pine needles, like a shrub. <laughs> like, she had a shrub. It was a few. In her bra. And uh, it, was it was a bra shrub. Shrubbery. If you will. Uh, yeah, so... <clears throat> Fingers crossed, I will be done decorating by tomorrow. <laughs> So today I'm going to talk a little bit about Edgar Casey, oh. the sleeping prophet. Mm-hmm. Now here's lazy. a guy. This guy, yeah, he was lazy. <laughs> he was a lazy prophet. Um, quite a remarkable guy, actually. Interesting article on him in uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not that uh, talks about some of his, uh, well, leading up to him becoming the sleeping prophet. What some of the things that happened to him were pretty unusual. Like when he was a kid, he used to play with quote the little folk. And communicated with the dead. I don't know what that means. The little folk, like fairies? Yeah. 
claiming that he could look right through them if he focused hard enough. In 1889, Casey was 12 years old, and um, he was out in the backyard, just hanging out, looking for fairies, I guess. I'm not sure. That's what I do. And he claimed that he encountered a visit from a winged woman who promised to answer all of his prayers. Just kind of showed up in the backyard while he was communing with the little folk. When he met the lady, in fact, the day after he met the lady with wings, he got the results of his spelling test back from work, Mm -hmm. I mean, from from school. And it was really very poor. And um, his father had helped him study for this. And because he failed it so miserably, his father really took it out on Casey. So Casey recalled hearing at this moment while his dad was yelling at him, the winged lady's voice. And she told him that uh, all he had to do essentially was when he went to bed was to put his spelling book underneath of his pillow. And when he was asleep, he would absorb all the information. Oh, spelling through osmosis. So he pleaded with his dad to be able to take a quick nap. He then placed his head on the spelling book, took a quick snooze. When his father woke him up, he had full recollection of the entire volume inside of his head. His father was stunned to find out that his his son knew every page of the book. He had every page memorized. Of course, he went and retook the test and did extremely well. Now, he repeated this process. He did this throughout school. He would... um, put his school books under his pillow, and by 1892, his teacher pronounced him the best student in the class. Oh, wow. Gosh, I wish it was that easy. Don't you? Especially with spelling, because you oh, and I, like, God. I... We're the worst. The, the nature of the world says you should have married someone who could spell well, and I should have married someone who could spell well, mm-hmm. but neither of neither. us can. Neither, neither. It is a problem. Neither of us can, and uh, neither of us can spell neither. <laughs> so his teacher said, hey, what's going on? You were like a poor student for so long, and now you're acing hey, all you of- you used to suck. Why are you good now? Why? What is going on? And he mentioned that he sleeps on his books. Uh, and each time he did this, he woke up to full recollection of- of the content. This is what he claimed. He was at a a ball game at school and he got hit in the spine with a ball. Oh no. Simon Birch style? Kind of. Yeah. Oh, Simon Birch. I haven't seen that in a long time. I've never seen it. Spoiler alert. It ends very sadly. Anyway, after he got hit, Casey started acting strangely. His parents put him to bed and... When he fell asleep, they were shocked because he started talking in his sleep. And he wasn't just babbling on talking about nonsensical things. He was diagnosing his condition and described how to cure it. I just think it's a really bad idea when your kid gets hit in the head with a baseball to uh, then put him to bed. (laughs) It was the spine, actually. He got hit in the spine. Uh, But yeah, no, it's a good point. Uh, You need to be careful. Those post-impact naps. So so he falls asleep and he's giving all, you know, he's diagnosing his, his injury and how to treat it while he's asleep. And his parents followed the, the instructions and Casey was immediately healed. I don't know. Where's this documented? I believe it was written about by his son, Hugh Lynn Casey, in uh, a number of books that, that he wrote. 
there are newspaper articles that are talking about this and or did talk about it and they build Casey as the illiterate man who became a doctor when hypnotized which is not really what happened but it sounded cool <laughs> they they described Casey as a psychic diagnostician and it wasn't just for himself people would come to him with various medical ailments mm. and he would go in lay down take a nap and diagnose it and prescribe a remedy for it mm-hmm. with a remarkable, actually a stunning rate of success. Now, some of it, you know, pretty simple things like, oh, you've got a cold, drink plenty of fluids, you right. know, sure, sure. get some rest, that sort of thing. But he gave more than 14,000 readings covering a wide range of topics during his life. According to his biographer, Thomas Sugru, quote, there are hundreds of people throughout the United States who will testify at the drop of a hat to the accuracy of the diagnoses and the efficacy of his suggestions of treatment. 14,000? Yes. Decades worth. That's, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything I've done that many times. (laughs) I think we would all be hard pressed to find something. Um. And he only did, he tried to keep his readings, is what he called them, to one a day, because he was told by this greater consciousness that if he did more than one a day, uh, he would explode. Oh. Yeah. See, that's when we had the neighbor kids down the street that I used to prank a lot. Um, I told them that I could fly, Mm -hmm. but I could only fly once a day. And so every time we hung out and they were like, show us how you could fly. I would be like, I already did it today. Yeah, only once. Yeah, otherwise I'll explode. (laughs) But in later life, because he had so many people clamoring for his services, he actually started to do more than one a day. And uh, then he died. Oh, he did explode. Yeah. I see. Well, not technically explode. Explode, yeah, not or, physically. And not right away. Yeah. Just yeah. much when he was much older. Much older. Interesting yeah. uh-huh. how that's happened. Casey's health recommendations from the 20s and 30s do hold up to today's standards. Now, again, remember, this. It, it, there are things that, that we just take for granted, but back in the 20s wasn't quite as well known. His tips for leading a long and healthy life in, included getting a good night's sleep, cooking with olive oil, exercising and drinking plenty of water. I love all those things. All those things are legitimate. Especially the olive oil. And today we go, well, yeah, everybody knows that. But in the 20s... It's kind of like when we were watching that Lewis and Clark documentary and they were like, Sacagawea wasn't feeling well. So after they took a bunch of blood out of her and she still wasn't feeling well, they gave her some mercury. (laughs) It's like, oh, did you not want her to get better? (laughs) Casey also made some pretty fascinating prophecies. Now, some appear to have become fulfilled. Sure. Some not so much. Let's talk about the ones that they claim actually came true. How is it that we've gotten to like episode 280 something and you've not talked about Edgar Casey? I don't know. I think because He's... everybody talks about Edgar Casey. Sure. I think maybe you and I both have a kind of skewed version in our brains of what everyone talks about because Mm -hmm. i said something like that the other day to a friend of mine i was like because everyone knows who blah 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 is and she was like no Mm, yeah no it's you have weird interests and i was like oh that's right that's that's why i do this thing i'm Uh, sorry i uh forgot i forgot that okay it happens (laughs) 
So these are some of the prophecies that uh, people claim have actually been fulfilled. In 1935, he predicted how World War II would unfold, describing an unprecedented alliance between the Germans, Austrians, and the Japanese. Now think about that. In 1935, most people would go, that's impossible Mm. that those three countries would unite and become like an axis of evil. But that's what happened. It's worth noting that this alliance would not come to light until the signing of a pact on September 27, 1940. Casey also predicted, quote, the whole world will be set on fire by these militaristic groups. Wow. He also claimed, this one is one of the most fascinating ones to me. He claimed in uh, the 1920s that the use of blood, blood would be used as a diagnostic tool. But didn't they already believe that What was going on with your blood? Like if your blood was haunted, then you'd be sick. (laughs) Didn't they already think that? Oh, yeah, she's got the bad blood. She's got hot blood. Got to take some of that hot blood out of her. He said, quote, For as seen, there is no condition existent in a body that the reflection of the same cannot be traced in the blood supply. For not only does the bloodstream carry the rebuilding forces to the body, Mm -hmm. but it also takes the used forces and eliminates them through the proper channels in various portions of the system. And he went on to say that um, there will come a day that in the bloodstream, there will be reflections of evidences of the condition being carried by the physical body. That day may yet arrive when one may take a drop of blood and diagnose the condition of the physical body. Mm. So in 1927, when he made this prediction, that was not something they could do to the extent of what he's talking about now. And then you get into the whole DNA thing, which could be lumped in with that as well. You get DNA from from a drop of blood. Mm. You can predict certain diseases that a person might be susceptible to. So Absolutely. it's it's pretty it, that that's pretty fascinating. He predicted the stock market crash of 1929, six months before it, it happened. He said, "We may expect a considerable break and bear market. This issue being between those of the reserves of nations and of individuals, and will cause unless." Another of more stable banking conditions can come to relief. A great disturbance in the financial circles. This warning has been given. This was in March of 1929. In October of 1929, the great crash happened. Yeah. The end of that prophecy there um, sounds a little more like a threat to me. Actually, the entire closing statement was, this warning has been given, see? (laughs) So immediately I'm thinking... Edward G. Robinson from those old gangster movies in the 30s. This warning's been given, see? Ah. Yeah. You lose all your money, see? Ah, your money. Banks will close their doors, see? Yeah, see? Mr. Potter's going to try to make your loss his gain, see? Yeah, see? Yeah, see? Um, he also predicted, uh, Casey, not Mr. Potter, uh, Casey in 1929 predicted that communication companies would grow to a point that we would not recognize them and that ultimately they would converge and consolidate and become centralized. He said, not that wars alone are to produce same, but the rumors of many of the same making the necessity of communications in the varied fields to come under one supervision will make physical coalition as to when in time, it may be years, but all of the varied channels of communication will work one with another and thus be varied commodities 
in their various divisions. Obviously referencing Bill Clinton's 1996 Telecommunications Act. That could be. (laughs) He also went on to say it's an opportunity for investment, as for holdings, as for speculative interest, both those of the air and of physical contact, meaning telegraph, telephone, as well as radio and radial operative forces, including International, American, Western Union, Westinghouse, and radio. And he also suggests that all of these devices for communication will be consolidated into a smartphone. Well, he, did, he didn't say that, but, <laughs> but that's what he meant, I'm guessing. Absolutely. Now... He did predict things that didn't come true or haven't come true yet. And right. Give it's you a probably couple, what it is. A couple of examples. It just and, hasn't happened yet. Yeah. The greater portion of Europe will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Japan will eventually go into the sea. Oh. That, of course, has not happened. Although there are a lot of earthquakes in Japan. Thank so you. So it's only a matter of time. Okay. That's encouraging. He what? said He said that there would be a shifting of the poles. Okay. And that this would begin in the late 1990s. Now, obviously the poles haven't shifted, but there was recently a, no. a show on Nova that said that in the Southern Hemisphere, they're starting to see fluctuations in the magnetic field there that could indicate mm. a polar shift at some point. And it is a fact that the poles have reversed many times over the millennia. Yeah, but in the 20s, they didn't know about that, right? I don't know if they knew about that then. Mm. Now, he said the city of Atlantis would be found near Bimini in the late 60s. This is questionable. The city has not risen from the ocean uh, like a lot of people thought he was implying. However, they did discover in the late 60s what's called the Bimini Road. And it looks as though it was intelligently designed, like this top of a wall or a road that was constructed that disappears into the deeper um, ocean. Now, there are those who say it's a natural formation. Mm-hmm. There are those who say that it's impossible that that would naturally occur. And if you, if you Google Bimini Roads and look at the pictures, you make your own decision there. Bimini Road. Now, he also said that uh, when that happened, that uh, we would uh, discover a, um, a killer laser made out of crystals oh. um, in Atlantis. And that, that shark's heads? Frickin' sharks. And that hasn't happened that I know of unless somebody found it and they're just keeping it to themselves. Right, Bond style. Right. But there's a lot that has happened that did happen during during Edgar Casey's life that was certainly unusual. And yes, a lot of it can be, I don't know, scientifically disproven, Mm -hmm. but a lot of it can be proven. Things pretty specific. I would say, you know, like the stock market crash. Yeah, it could be a lucky guess, but that was pretty specific. And at the time, things were roaring economically. That would lead you one to believe that eventually the bubble will burst. Well, you can say that, and and certainly there are economists that would be able to. But Edgar Cayce was, uh, he was not a highly educated man. He was the illiterate prophet, is Yeah, what they but you him. can be incredibly intelligent and not highly educated. Like, that's not... That's true. Those but two I, things don't have to go hand in I, hand. I, that is absolutely true. Especially but I, if you're trying to keep your intelligence undercover so that you can <laughs> then be a prophet. I see. Okay. I'll leave you with one of my favorite sayings that uh, it's a quote from Edgar Cayce. Okay. And take this for what you will. He said... Dreams are today's answers to tomorrow's questions. 
What? And now, that thing in the middle. Frank Sinatra's son was kidnapped in 1963. The kidnapper said that all communications must be made through payphones. Sinatra was worried he wouldn't have enough money, so he ensured he was carrying a pile of dimes with him at all times. He did this for the rest of his life and was buried with 10 dimes in his pocket. 100% of our listeners surveyed say they listen to podcasts. That's a lot. This is The Box of Oddities. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. 
I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Support for The Box of Oddities is provided in part by listeners like you on Patreon. You can support us too. Go to patreon.com slash box of oddities. Thank you. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Hey, Megan sent us this email. I'm listening to today's episode at work, and I ran into the bathroom to hide and type this out. A listener described their phantom sixth and twelfth toe, and that threw my memory back. I've always felt like I have two thumb-like toes on the inside of my feet like an ape would. Every time I've brought it up, I've been looked at like I was absolutely insane. But hearing this made me feel not so strange. Any hoozle? Thanks for everything you do, and thank you for getting me through my job. I always look forward to Monday and Thursdays. Thanks a lot, Megan. Um, That's amazing. That is amazing. And it makes me wonder if it's some sort of evolutionary memory that we have from early tree ancestor people type ape creature things. Our shrew friends? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But that's fascinating. I love it. And I love that a couple of people have taken the opportunity to say, like, no, no, it's not just you. And that, <laughs> that blows my mind. I love it so much. That's what makes this freak community so amazing. You know, when I was young, I thought that I should have a tail. But I think mm. that's just because I had more animals around me than people. Sure, and uh, sure. I was very easily confused. So. so what you got for me? Oh, all right. Kunigunda Matamotsky was born in 1873 in Brooklyn to a German mother and a Polish-Russian father. Now, as you can imagine, I'm never going to say that name again. No. Um, she ended up calling herself Cora Turner. Thank goodness, because that's what I'm going to call her, too. <laughs> okay. Cora left home at 16 with aspirations to be a star. She was able to get acting and vocal lessons to advance her career, but they didn't seem to be panning out. And when she was 19 years old, she met Holly Harvey Crippen. Crippen had studied at the University of Michigan Homeopathic Medical School and graduated from uh, Cleveland Medical College in 1884. His first wife had died of a stroke, and after that, he left his kid with his parents and moved to New York. In 1894, he... And Cora met and ended up getting married. I don't know why I said they ended up getting married. I mean, it, it sounds like, oh, it just happened that they were married. But, you know. How I'm sure there was some planning that went right. into it. Right. It didn't like just, ma- oh, whoops, looks, uh, looks like we're married now. Uh, we, we fell into marriage. It just seems like a, looking back, it seems like a dumb way to have said that. <laughs> and I apologize. Okay. So, <laughs> Cora's stage name was Belle Elmore. 
She was bold and outgoing by all accounts. She was a kind of an unlikely pairing for the mild-mannered Protestant Crippen. Crippen started working for Dr. Munyon's homeopathic pharmaceutical company, and in 1897, uh, they moved to England. And although his medical qualifications from the States weren't enough to get him as, to be a doctor in the UK, he did end up working as a, a dispenser of meds in, in the UK. In 1899, Crippen was fired from Dr. Munyon's company for spending too much time managing his wife's stage career. Cora at this time was singing in a music hall and was the treasurer of the Music Hall Ladies Guild in London. So Dr. Crippen became the manager of Druitt's Institution for the Deaf, where he hired Ethel Leneve, a young typist, in 1900. In September 1905... Dr. Crippen and his wife took a lease on 39 Hilldrop Crescent in Holloway. It's rumored that part of the reason for this move was so that they could have separate bedrooms. The Crippens didn't do a lot together except for fight, and sometimes it was public. And it's unclear exactly when Crippen started having an affair with his assistant. I knew it. Leneve. Uh, but it's thought that it was right around the time that this move happened. Sure. Yeah, well, separate bedrooms. Right. Now, there were a couple of sources that had very different takes on how this whole situation went down. One was written in the style of, okay, so Cora was demanding and ill-tempered and uh, sexless and... (laughs) also cheating on him and, you know, all these things. And it was just a very negative to Cora kind of vibe. And the other article was like, he immediately started fucking around. And, you know, so I think... um, Wow. So pick your poison there. I I really think that uh, probably it was somewhere in the middle. And it depends on who was telling the story, uh, who was in the wrong. Mm -hmm. Either way... They uh, were still married, and they decided that they would have a party for two close friends of Cora's, Paul and Clara Martinetti. So it's Monday, January 31st, 1910, and the meal was very nice, except for at one point Paul had asked to use the bathroom, and Crippen didn't bring him upstairs to show him where the bathroom was, and Cora thought that that was very uncouth of him and, like, gave him a dressing down in front of the guests. After the party, Cora's friends didn't hear from her for a few days. So as the days went by, a few had inquired where she was, and Crippen told one of Cora's friends that she had returned to the United States. To visit her sister? To visit relatives. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, as the days passed, he added, as people continued to inquire, that she had fallen ill. Mm. And then she ended up dying. And had been cremated in California. Sure. And she's not coming back. This is not suspicious at all, Mr. Crippen. No. It is very distressing, though, especially since right around this time, Ethel Leneve had started wearing some of Cora's jewelry and clothes and by the end of February had moved in with Crippen at Hilldrop Crescent. Was she wearing the jewelry before the alleged death abroad? It was all pretty intermingled. Okay. Some sources say that she was moved in with him before people even knew that 
Cora was missing. <laughs> it was a real it was a real problem. So Cora's friend, the strong woman, Kate Williams, went to the police with her suspicions. Uh, the they were kind of like, okay, we'll we'll take that into consideration, mm. ma'am, uh, strong ma'am. Uh, but they began to take it more seriously when they were asked to investigate by a personal friend of Scotland Yard superintendent, Frank Frost. John Nash and his entertainer wife, Lil Hawthorne. L- L- Lil Hawthorne. Lil Hawthorne sounds like a rapper, isn't? No, well, I, I, I didn't get that vibe, uh-huh. but I do think that the name Lil Hawthorne is pretty much the the best name I could imagine. Okay, I just love it. Mm-hmm. I want to uh, have a baby that I can name. Like I don't want to, I don't want to shoot it out of me, but mm. I want someone to say that I can name their baby, yeah. and I will name it Lil. And then hmm. also Hawthorne. And they'll be like, well, which one? And I'm like, nope, both. And <laughs> anyway, so July 8 comes around and Chief Inspector Walter Dew went to the home on Hilldrop Crescent and Crippen showed him around and he told Dew that Cora had left him for another man. All right. Almost certainly his name was Bruce Miller and he was an American and they met in 1903 and that she... Uh, left him to be with Bruce in America. So his story has changed. It has. He explained that he had made up the story about her uh, going to visit family slash getting sick slash dying slash being cremated in California uh, because he was embarrassed because she had left him. Right, okay. And this, according to uh, the history press, do understood, uh, but told Crippen that it would be better if he heard that story from Cora herself. So Crippen said that he would place an ad in newspapers where he thought she had gone, uh, looking for her to reach out to the police so that, you know, they would know that she was safe. Cool? Totally cool. Except the next day, July 9, Crippen shaved off his mustache and with Ethel, disguised as a boy, went to Brussels. (laughs) So... (laughs) There they bought tickets to Canada aboard the SS Montrose, traveling as father and son. Not suspicious at all. That is really weird. So police discovered that the pair had taken off and uh, decided that it would be best to further investigate. During a search of the home in the cellar, uh, police noticed some loose bricks in the floor. Mm-hmm. And after, uh, you know, shuffling things around a bit, they found the remains of a body. The body was headless, limbless, and boneless. Oh, my God. But it was determined that this was the body of Cora Turner. He filleted her? Wow. Meanwhile, Crippen and Laniv were crossing the Atlantic on the Montrose, and they had garnered some suspicion. They seemed to be unduly affectionate <laughs> and were constantly holding hands. As father and son. Yeah. Yeah. Added to that, the boys' clothing seemed to be very ill-fitting. Captain Henry George Kendall had the telegraphist send a wireless telegram, which was very new technology at this time. In fact, this case is credited as the first in which a capture was made based on wireless telegram technology. Amazing. The message said, have strong suspicions that Crippen London cellar murderer and accomplice are among saloon passengers. Mustache taken off, growing beard, accomplice dressed as boy, manner and build undoubtedly girl. That's amazingly observant. 
to put that together. Yeah. To think, yeah, that's the uh, the murder guy. Must be. So Chief Inspector Walter Dew boarded a faster White Star liner from Liverpool and arrived in Quebec ahead of Crippen and uh, <laughs> his son uh-huh. and contacted Canadian authorities. They were arrested and Crippen was put on trial at the Old Bailey before Lord Chief Justice Lord Alverston on October 18, 1910. The proceedings were to last four days. Crippen's defense maintained that Cora had fled to America with another man and that Cora and Holly had been living at the house only since 1905 so that the body could have been there before they even moved in. Uh-huh. A pathologist, though, claimed that they found a piece of skin on the torso bits that he claimed showed a abdominal scar consistent with Cora's medical history. Also, the remains had been wrapped in a pajama jacket, and the tag inside the jacket led to the manufacturers, the Jones Brothers, and they confirmed that this particular piece of cloth and pattern was not issued until late 1908, which I think is some amazing police work. that is. So that shows that the body wouldn't have been placed there until after that date. Also keep in mind that medical tests had shown that the flesh contained traces of hyacin, which is a poison. And that poison was purchased by Crippen uh, two weeks before Cora had gone missing. So this is not looking good for Crippen and son. It's not. It's not. It's not. So the jury found Crippen guilty of murder after 27 minutes of deliberation. Wow. That's just long enough for them to go back and pee. Yeah. And then come back and read their verdict. Laniv was charged with being an accessory after the fact and was acquitted. Crippen was hanged at Pentonville Prison in London on Wednesday, the 23rd of November, 1910. He protested his innocence until the day he was hanged. No one really bought it, though. In 2007, The Guardian reported that working from a sample kept at the Museum of the Royal London Hospital Archives, a team of forensic scientists from the States compared mitochondrial DNA from the remains presented at the trial with samples that they got from Cora's surviving relatives. And the results were conclusive, according to Dr. David Foran, the head of forensic science at Michigan State. That body cannot be Cora Crippen. We are certain of that. Did she gone girl his ass? Oh my God. Unclear. Whoa. Unclear. Who the body belongs to, they don't know. They also think it's very suspicious that Crippen had purchased poison uh, that could have been used for other things. I mean, it could have been like something used to drug but not kill or um, keep someone from getting handsy. I mean, there are other reasons to have purchased the poison. What if she like told him to pick a few things up on his way home from the store uh, from the store mm-hmm. and that happened to be one of them and it was you know maybe something they used like you said maybe it was for i don't know some sort of a household cleaner oh wow yeah um it's also rumored that on the side crippen had been performing illegal abortions oh my and that the body under the home may have been someone who died during one of those illegal abortions which is very common uh during the the days of illegal abortion 
And uh, he didn't want to fess up to that. Either way, uh, we do know that the body in the basement was not that of Cora's, and that 10 years after the trial, a singer with a similar name was registered as living with Cora's sister in New York, and <laughs> records show that the same woman entered the U.S. through Ellis Island from Bermuda in 1910, shortly after Mrs. Crippen disappeared. Shut up. Oh, she gone-girled him. That is a great story. And that is the story of the murder of Cora Turner slash Cora Crippen slash Belle Elmore slash Kunigunda, Kunigunda Makamotsky. <laughs> you said you weren't going to say it again, and, you, and yet I'm you did. Probably. I'm sure I didn't say it the same way. So <laughs> <laughs> Fascinating. Wow. So we're in the process of mapping out where we would like to go to uh, do our next live tour sometime next year. And if you have a suggestion, if you'd like us to come to your city, uh, send us an email, maybe reach out to your local comedy club. Yeah, we're going to need some help figuring this out yeah. as we are uh, treading these very weird waters over the next year. And if you'd like to help support the Box of Oddities roll out this next tour, you can do so at our Patreon site, patreon.com slash box of oddities or the box of oddities.com. Um, also, if you want to send us something in the post, uh, we are loving mail days recently. Uh, we've been overwhelmed with some amazing packages. Uh, we do have a new mail day video uh, going up on YouTube shortly. 499 Broadway, Box 164, Bangor, Maine, 04401. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2020 All Rights Reserved Hi, I'm Neil And I'm Ken and we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Hello everyone, Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.